1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire
0: professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Stephanie Dobbs Brown. She's a chief marketing officer at ICE, a Fortune 500 company with over 14,000 employees around the world and the parent company of the iconic New York Stock Exchange. Under Stephanie's leadership, ICE has undergone a profound transformation. She's led the company's rebrand, including its first ever global campaign expanding programming capabilities and reimagining the New York Stock Exchange iconic Bell experience. On the show today, we talk about her pathway to becoming CMO at ICE. We talk about ICE and the complexity of that business and how marketing needs to respond to each of the business's unique needs. We talk about the New York Stock Exchange as well and the rebrand journey that she's been on, how they got started, what was important in the elements leading up to it and where they focus today and going forward. We also talk about leadership and the importance of authenticity. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Stephanie Dobbs brown Well, Stephanie, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, We're going to talk, I'm sure, a lot about financial markets and, and many other things. But before we get into that, There's a little bit of a a, a dynamic here. You are a Manhattanite or a city dweller, but I hear that you used to go deep sea fishing every single weekend.
1: (laughs) You you did your research. (laughs) Really digged on that one. Yeah, I grew. I am very much a a New Yorker, lived in Manhattan for a long time, was born in Manhattan. Um, But yeah, I grew up in a family that we would go deep sea fishing every Sunday, for years, I mean, that was how we spent our weekends um, growing up. My parents were really, really into it. And, you know, it's so interesting. I don't, I don't do it anymore and admittedly have not gone fishing in many, many years. But there was something about that that really informed so much of how I think about life. And so I grew up in a family of four kids. My mom was home with us. My dad was always very driven, working around the clock outside of the house. And yet on Sundays, those were really preserved for family time. And so it was a really sort of special memories about growing up doing that. And yeah, when I was, when I was little, I was into it. I, I actually won a few awards myself. <laughs> um, I think I still have a certificate somewhere, but really loved it growing up in sort of that family time and having that, that space as a family and very much think about that now with my own family.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. There's some like picture in my head of of you standing there with this ginormous fish in high heels or something, you know, like, like, like,
1: I would say it was high heels, but listen, you could put me in a fighting chair with a big pole and and like, (laughs) I like, I was in it, but that's sort of how I am about everything. Like, you know, I'll think I'll, I'll, I'll try just about anything and I'll give it my all, but I won't spend a lot of time doing something that I, that I dislike or that I hate I'll sort of, so I tried it once, not my thing and, and kind of moved on. But but yeah, I and my mom was sort of the same way. Like I very much remember her having like leather gloves and me just sort of, <laughs> like she was fishing with like her beautiful leather gloves and I just threw them in the ocean because <laughs> I, I got dirty. So lots of stories around that. But yeah, a, a really, really great and beautiful and informative part of my childhood.
0: Love it. I love it. Well, um, from deep sea fishing to a chief marketing officer, where'd you get your start career wise yeah. and um, kind of? you're now the the CMO at ice and, and we'll yeah. talk a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. So I, when I graduated, I, it, I graduated and I was, I sort of had two paths that I could take both tied to CBS uh, television broadcast. One was I could sort of, I knew I, I had a, a a contact that said, look, I have an opportunity for what was the early show at the time, which is now the CBS morning show with Gail King. And you know, he is. I have an opportunity where you can go out every weekend and be a field producer for the CBS Early Show. And I said, Oh my goodness, that sounds awesome. I would love to do it. And right around that same time, I was offered an opportunity with a local CBS affiliate in Memphis where I had been living. I went to school in Tennessee and I had been living right after school. And I did not want to give up either opportunity. And so I worked on an arrangement where during the week, I worked for a CBS affiliate, WREG. Uh, doing ad sales um, Monday through Friday, and then on the weekends I was a field producer for the early show, and I did I did that. I sort of did two jobs for for a while for a few years, and loved it. And it was really, I think, sort of my first, certainly my my first jobs, but but very much looking back on that, not really surprising that I didn't want to give up either. I've <laughs> always been really driven and focused, and and did it and, and loved it, and then had a sort of a fork in the road decision that I needed to make several years later, where I either could move to New York or, at the time, I had moved uh, to Chicago and ultimately decided to stay in Chicago and worked at a company called PR Newswire, which is a, a pretty sort of newswire business. A lot of people who end up in sort of marketing communications start there. Hmm. Um, worked there for a few years, loved it, and ultimately moved over to Thomson Financial, which was then then became Thomson Reuters in sales roles and in when i was at thomson reuters we were launching a product that was aiming uh, it was targeting the marketing and communications sector mm. and there was this product that i knew that we were launching and yet it didn't have a sales team yet it didn't have a product team it didn't have marketers and i went to i went to the guy that was running the business and i said look i think i can help here and i created a job description for myself which was a little bit of Marketing and sales and product and said, look, I'll, I'll do it all. You know, it was sort of a startup within this big organization. He hired me to do it. And it, it was really my first kind of foray into being responsible for, for P and L for hmm. sort of in, in the oversight of, of the business and did everything within that from hiring and managing the sales team to working with the product teams to actually launch the product to helping with customer service to developing the positioning and the go to market. And. From there, was was hired. I uh, moved into a role within Thomson Reuters. Um, with so that was my first sort of client side uh, role. Was was moving into the Thomson Reuters brand and public relations team. From there, I moved over to Dow Jones. So uh, over to the Wall Street Journal, which is owned by Dow Jones, to oversee brand marketing for their ad sales uh, department. And that was really like my first kind of client side role. Mm truly in brand, um, did that for a few years, was promoted to oversee then all B2B marketing for Dow Jones, and then ultimately moved over to ICE to s- oversee their data business, their exchanges business. And then over the last few years, last couple of years in particular, was promoted a Chief Marketing Officer.
0: Love it. I love it. I love it. Well, and congratulations, I guess. A couple of, <laughs> a couple of years delayed, but uh, congratulations on the promotion. Thanks. I mean, that early start though, two jobs. I mean, that's, that's some work ethic.
1: You know, it is, it's funny at the time, it just, I didn't think about it. I just, you know, I just really wanted to do both jobs. I wasn't phased by it at all. And it was only as I progressed in my career and started telling that story that, and seeing people's reactions that it was like, oh, wow, that's, that is sort of interesting and unique, but it's very much defines how I am even today. I really enjoy working. I really, I am driven and I, um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not bashful about it. And I think, you know, going after roles and opportunities that I want, you know, you really see it like early in my career on sort of taking those two jobs. And it really helped me kind of shape the direction I wanted to go in. I just wasn't sure, you know, I, I didn't know if I wanted to be sort of behind the scenes broadcast or elsewhere within kind of marketing and communications. And as much as I loved field production, it was very clear to me that I ultimately didn't want to spend my career in broadcast.
0: Right, right. Uh, makes sense. Well, let's talk a little bit about ICE and the the journey that the organization is on. Uh, I guess first we probably need to talk about like what is ICE.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so Intercontinental Exchange or, or ICE is is what we go by. So we are we're in fintech. We are we're an exchange operator um, with a large data business as part of it. And if you think about ICE, you know, the, the, the way to kind of think about it is we've got three business segments. So we've got one segment that's, that really focuses on our, our exchanges business, which is primarily comprised of futures and equities. And within equities is the New York Stock Exchange. We then have a a large data business, which is, which is largely focused around fixed income data, uh, but covers lots of different asset classes within that. But the bulk of it is within fixed income. And then we have a large and growing mortgage technology business. And people are always saying, well, God, what, you know, what's the connective thread between them all? And if you think about ICE, the connective thread between all of them is that we connect buyers and sellers. And so if you think about, if you think about exchanges, that's all around connecting buyers and sellers. Within our fixed income business, it's the same thing. And if you think about mortgage technology... Anybody who's ever had a mortgage knows how tedious of a process is, right? But the whole premise of that is about connecting buyers and sellers. And so for us, we've been around about 25 years. We've had just around 50 acquisitions. And all of those have been sort of using the same playbook of, can we go in... And can we apply our technology, our data and our expertise to make those businesses work a lot more efficient? So to create a lot more transparency, to create a lot more efficiency. And so, you know, we started in the energy space. We started in the energy space about 25 years ago. And really, like I said, like applied that same playbook, you know, moving into agriculture, moving into environmental markets, of course, moving into equities with the New York Stock Exchange Mm -hmm. um, acquisition in 2013, moving into fixed income around 2015, 2016. And then over the last few years, applying that same playbook again to mortgage technology.
0: I love it. I love it. I mean, it's a pretty interesting business model. And you've got, as you described, like the three types of businesses, you've got a very different version of marketing I'm assuming for each one like spans from kind of demand gen if I think about the the tech business uh, or even the the data business maybe for that matter and then you've got like content and I'm assuming brand and Mm -hmm. for the markets because you're you're the market. You're not. You're not driving demand. The the market drives demand. If that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah it's it's really true. I mean, so it, with, th- while there's overlap within the different businesses, they really are fairly unique from one another. And so, from a futures perspective, the big objective around our sort of, promoting our futures business is around reinforcing key messages, right? Because mm-hmm. ultimately, at the end of the day, what trading that happens on our platforms are going to be influenced typically a lot more by sort of macroeconomic and by, you know elements than it is around potentially marketing to really focus around you know, what is our, our communications, our content strategy, reinforcing key messages, and making sure that people are aware of all of the different ways that they can manage their risk within our futures exchanges. When you think about um, our data businesses, that's much more around demand gen. And so that's where we, we very much think about the funnel. And we're thinking about, you know, how can we bring in new logos? You know, what does the top of the funnel look like? How are we nurturing um leads to get them to close? And so that's sort of what I would what I would say is is quite different in terms of how we think about marketing the business. And from a mortgage technology standpoint, actually that business is very similar to our fixed income in terms of demand generation, right? It's all around lead funnel. And then when you think about the New York Stock Exchange, that's a totally different beast in terms of how we think about marketing that business. So on one side of that, we're very focused around working with startups, with companies that are looking to um, go public and to list on the New York Stock Exchange. How can we get them to list on our exchanges? Um, And then so that's sort of one piece in terms of the NYSE. The other piece, as it relates to the NYSE and a little bit around ICE too, is around brand recognition. And so making sure that people are aware of who we are, what we do, what we stand for, etc. And so, you know, every day is a little bit different. And we have different teams across um, within the marketing organization that focus on different parts of the business.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty unique business model. I mean, you've got all of these different components. Um it seems like a lot to manage as a marketer. <laughs> you, you, I mean, not not that it's you can't do it, but it's just. I mean, there's so many different business models. If that makes sense,
1: there, there are, and I think there. You know, I think it. Did, first of all, having a really strong team yeah. helps right. significantly. But I think that. For me, I'm a really, I'm a curious person by nature. And I actually like the fact that it's, you know, day to day, it's actually quite different. But when, you know, I've been at the company for six and a half years. And when I started, it took me a little bit to get into a rhythm of just like, how do I think about my days, my weeks, where I spend my time? And what I found is actually putting a lot of structure to the, and being very disciplined around what I focus on, even down to the day or the hour Mm. is really helpful for me. And and that, you know, so like some days I spend time, yeah, I'm based in New York and sometimes I spend time at the New York Stock Exchange, and sometimes I spend time in our midtown office. Mm-hmm. And so when I do spend time in different offices, I tend to use those days to focus very much on those businesses. Mm-hmm. It's not always that clean, but the structure has certainly helped to be able to shift back and forth.
0: Yeah. That's I, I love that idea. And I'm just curious. I mean, we, we talked about your background and you had, I guess. Largely, kind of started off in a sales role, Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm curious if that like sales mentality of what's going to move the needle influences how you prioritize your time.
1: Hundred percent, it influences everything. I would say there's sort of there's three parts of my career that influence how sort of how I operate today. One is that I started in sales, so I absolutely come at things from that point of view and that perspective. I think about kind of what is the impact. How are we driving growth? Like that is very much the way that I kind of that might that I prioritize my time. But it also thinks about it, like it also makes me think about like how I create relationships and how our teams create relationships. And so I am a very sales friendly marketer. Um, I always have been to me like you cannot operate as a marketer without being hand in hand with your sales teams and your product teams. Like you just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this my sales background definitely informs that. My background in comms, both studying comms and spending time in brand and PR strategy has also helped in terms of how I think about messaging, communication, risk uh, for a brand, etc. has really helped. And then from a marketing perspective, it's really around like, how do you knit that all together in terms of the go-to-market and how you present your business and your brand to the, to the marketplace and to customers. So all three of those have been really informative in terms of how I think about my day-to-day today and where I can make the biggest impact and where the team can make the biggest impact.
0: Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Well, you've also been on kind of this rebrand journey uh, for ICE. Tell me a little bit about that journey and, and where you guys are at this point. Yeah,
1: so so this started uh, in 2019. We had started talking about, from an ICE perspective, you know, do we we... We're finding that there was a, there was some confusion in the marketplace around sort of who ICE is, what our strategy is. And we were finding that it was one slowing down the sales cycle and two was making it challenging around recruitment. And so we started having conversations towards like the end of 2019 around that. In 2020, we, we made what was at the time our largest acquisition, a company called Ellie May, which really put us squarely in the mortgage technology space. And as part of that, you know, we're smack in the middle of COVID. We make this large acquisition and we said, you know, now is the time and the opportunity to really retell our story. And so we went down a path of doing a lot of research, you know, everything from where is our brand equity? Should we change the name of ice? There's a lot of confusion sometimes around is ice frozen water (laughs) with, you know, the government or Homeland Security. And so we did a lot of research around that. And what we found early on is, is two things. That were really instrumental in pointing us in the direction we ultimately went in. One was that 80% of our brand equity actually sits within our logo that is that says I C E, so ICE. Mm. And so we said, okay, well, look, that's, you know, most of our brand equity sits there. We're not gonna change that. Like mm. let let's really lean into it. And the second thing is it related to um, the ICE brand, is that for our customers, Actually, there wasn't confusion the way that we may have thought that there there was confusion around who we are. Hmm. You know, if I'm talking to my grandmother, she might be a little bit confused. I'm like, wait, do you have something to do with water? We don't. But for the most part, if we're targeting you, right, we are straight B2B. If we're targeting you, there isn't isn't really confusion uh, around who we are. And where there is confusion, maybe where, you know, when we ventured into the mortgage technology space early days, we're able to overcome that really quickly, right. and so what we decided to do was really lean into our lean into ice, lean into where we have brand equity, but really focus on a few areas. One is we wanted to expand our reach in terms of potential potential customers, mm. um, both within sort of our existing base and when we think about kind of next gen. So that was one big objective that we were focused on. Another big objective that we were focused on is how do we bring together the businesses so they're a lot closer. So I mentioned, you know, we've had about 50 acquisitions in 25 years. That's a lot of acquisitions. Some are small, some like the New York Stock Exchange, some of our mortgage acquisitions, uh, some of the acquisitions to get into fixed income were really large and involved. And so we went on a path of bringing those a lot closer together in terms terms of, of of brand cleanup and brand hierarchy. And then the third area was we really wanted to focus on the New York Stock Exchange. And so not only bringing the brand you know closer together to ICE, but to, ha- to really have those two brands in particular, get to benefit from each other. Mm. And so we embarked on our first ever global campaign. We worked with a lot of partners. And so we worked with partners like McLaren. We worked with influencers in the financial in the fintech space, like Rose Hahn, in the mortgage and real estate space, like Egypt Sherrod. So we worked with influencers and, and well-known partners to help us raise visibility for who we are and what we do and to help explain what we do because it's quite complicated. And we really started to organize how we market in a very different way. And so really, with the exception of the New York Stock Exchange, which we left that brand for obvious reasons, there's so much brand equity there, right. we really... we we sunset all of our other brands across the organization. And so now only go to market with ICE. And what we've seen is a lot of success in terms of accelerating the sales pipeline and and just not having to have that... It sort of shortened that conversation early on around who is ICE so we can let the sales teams get there faster Mm -hmm. in terms of really being able to promote our propositions. So that was one thing. And the other area that we've seen, um, success is around recruitment. And again, um, not having to spend so much time kind of telling the story and explaining who we are, but really being able to sell all the terrific attributes of, of working with, you know, working at ice to potential candidates.
0: Oh, that's amazing. I mean, kudos. Those are big moves. I mean, like to consolidate the brand portfolio, so to speak, um, clean it up, understand why you're leaning into the equity that you have, which is also a very smart move. I mean, creating brand equity is the hardest thing I think yeah. marketers ever try to do. And then leveraging a marquee sub brand, so to speak, yeah. the NYSE. So that's, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's been, it's been great. And it, it's been, I mean, it's been really, really great fun But you're right. I mean, that even just the hierarchy with, with, of course, this audience will appreciate. Yeah. Uh, That was pretty gnarly. I mean, we had thousands (laughs) and thousands and thousands of products and we had hundreds of sub brands, you know, so, but it was, it was worth it. It was, I always say it was a labor of love, the whole project. And now it's, you know, it's around how do we now kind of bring that to the next level and and really make that connection of our propositions? Because now we, we do have that, we do have that brand awareness in the space. It's
0: been great. No, it's impressive. I mean, so many times in the B two B space in particular, I've seen acquisitions and, you, and they just kind of like go on, you know, like yeah. like they never really address the the complexity of the portfolio, you know, they've fractured sales teams, I, like a whole mismatch of stuff, right? And yeah. and you can make money, right? Like, but from a to your point around like sales efficiency, like how does how does the story tell? tell a bigger story and provide air cover, if you will, and mm-hmm. kind of ease of entry to new prospects and customers. And then yeah. the the other point you made, which is the on the recruitment and the talent side, making sure people understand we work for a really cool company.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. And you know, we because we are so acquisitive. We've got, you know, we've got the playbook in terms of what we can do when we acquire a company and we apply our data and our technology and expertise, which also, by the way, was all messaging that came out of a lot of our research and the brand work. We apply that over and over again. But actually, when we integrate companies, we do it really quickly. We're really efficient about it. And, and we've got that down. But but the marketing piece had been missing. And, and so it was a little bit overdue in terms of, in terms of letting that catch up to the rest of our kind of acquisition strategy. So it's been, it's been terrific. Yeah. It's been, been great.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I want to ask you a little bit about leadership and, and how, how do you think about the mindset that leaders need to have today?
1: Yeah. So there's a few things that I, that I tend to think about. One is, I think authenticity matters so much and I think we've seen this a lot over the last few years but I think the being true to who you are as a person and as a leader matters uh, it matters in terms of how you engage with your teams it matters in terms of how you fit within a culture so I think authenticity matters I think I think the other area that for when I think about my leadership is I tend to focus on people, purpose, and profit, and I think if you think about the intersection of all of those, right? Like, people matter so much. At the end of the day, if pe- if people on your team or people in your organization are unhappy, like <laughs> it just doesn't work. Right. You know, you have to it, like people have to be challenged and inspired and happy, and that shows up in lots of different ways. But as a leader, you have to be aware of that, and I think it takes compassion to be aware of that. I think you have to be thinking about your teams. Mm. I think that people want a reason to come to work and that looks, and that's around purpose. And I think that looks completely different for everybody and every Mm -hmm. company, right? I think that at the New York Stock Exchange, for instance, we think about like, what's the role that we play? And for us, it's really around capitalism and the role that we play around capitalism. And we own that and we are proud of that and we live and breathe that, right? But it's different for everybody. And purpose can mean something at kind of the bigger scale around like, what does the company stand for? Mm-hmm. What, how does the company show up in moments that, that are important? But it can also just be, you know, what is your purpose day to day, right? From like the most junior person on the team to the most senior, right? What are we all here for? And I think that, that you know, a leader has to create that and has to reinforce that. And then I think the other thing is around profit and what I would say growth and impact. Ultimately, in my opinion, it's sort of all for nothing if you're not making an impact. And that looks different at every single company. But when we think about kind of people, purpose and profit, to me, those all need to live really, really harmoniously. And that focus has really helped me define my leadership style, but it wouldn't be without the authenticity of knowing that those were what were important to me and how I think about things like they go hand in hand in terms of how I think about leading leading a team.
0: I really, I mean, I love the, well, the alliteration is awesome too. people, purpose and profit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I am a marketer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. exactly. Of course, <laughs> of course, of course, there's alliteration, but it's, I like how you talk about it. I mean, I definitely agree on the authenticity part. I think purpose, you made a great point, which is that different, a little bit different to everybody that comes to comes to work every day. Right. And, yeah. but without it, it's hard to motivate. It's hard to be invested, you know, and it doesn't have to be unicorns and rainbows. It can be, I just want to make the markets work more efficiently, Yeah. you know, and I, I believe in that process. And so anyway, I, I, I like how you talk about it. It's very cool. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things we love to To do on the show is get to know you a little bit better. We we know you like to hook the big fish. Uh, (laughs) Where do
1: we go from here now?
0: (laughs) So, my favorite question to ask everyone that comes on the show is Has there been an experience of your past that defines and makes up who you are today?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And there's a lot, (laughs) but there's one quite personal experience that absolutely defines who I am today, both personally and professionally. Um, Several years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer and I I was sick and I always sort of tell this story. You know, I, I grew up in primarily, you know, working in big corporations, often male dominated and very much had a veneer or facade or sort of who I thought, you know, I needed to be as a leader to make my way up in my career and which was very, you know, maybe tough or maybe not as warm as I am, as, as I, you know, am personally. And I got sick in 2016. And I remember having to tell my team that I was sick. And mm. so we were in a conference room and I was sitting there with my boss at the time and my whole team. And I had to tell them, look, I'm I'm sick. I have to start chemo. This was on a, a Friday. I have to start chemo on Monday. Mm. Um, and at the time, I sort of had this this rule that I was not a hugger. Like I would not hug people at work, which is really in hindsight, ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, I'm <laughs> like I am a huge hugger for anyone that knows me. <laughs> And I remember telling my team that and everybody sort of stood up. We were in a, a big conference room and everybody stood up as they were walking out and, and gave me a hug. Like everybody wanted to hug me mm-hmm. and they, they needed to hug me, but I actually also really needed the hugs. And the biggest lesson that came out of that, I mean, you can imagine going through that, there were lots of lessons, but the biggest lesson that came out of that was one, be true to who, who I am, right? Like mm-hmm. why, you know, the, the hugging thing just sort of stayed with me. Like I am a hugger. So why am I not? Why am I not doing that? Right. And why am I not being my most authentic self? And, and actually that moment, that, that singular moment has informed so much of my life, so much of who I am, um, the importance for me to show up as me every single day, regardless of the situation, whether it's being a, I have a, a almost four-year-old, whether it's being a mom to my four-year-old or leading a team or working with colleagues or whatever it might be, or my friends. But that, that was really that moment changed me for the better in, in every way.
0: I love that story. And thank you for sharing. Thank you for yeah. sharing. Those moments of vulnerability, they definitely define us for sure.
1: They do, And I think that, you know, I think what society has shown us, certainly since 2020 is, is it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to sort of have these conversations and we should be having these conversations because everybody goes through them. Everybody's right. different. Yeah. Um, but I absolutely, they define who we are. And I think I, I go back to that, that point around authenticity. I say this to my team all the time, right? Like the more authentic you are, the more truthful you are, the more open you are, the happier you're going to be. You're going to be happier at work, right? Work is going to feel less like work, right? But but being true to who you are matters for so many reasons.
0: Right, right. Well, and I also like to think about it too in terms of like the human condition and the notion of being vulnerable invites energy from others, whether that's you know helping you out or taking on more because... They know the situation you're in all of those things are great things to have happen
1: I totally agree, and I think, look, I think working in any corporate environment relationships matter, and look i I would be remiss like i'm as warm and a hugger as I am right <laughs> I'm, I'm also pretty direct and like to get to the point and move quickly and work well in in a big corporation, in financial services, right? Like I'm sort of able to kind of balance both. Mm. But I think if you can balance both, like your relationships go so much further. And as a marketer, you know, I always say we don't have the luxury sometimes in marketing to make things a directive, right? Like we're going to do a rebrand and a campaign and all these things. Like you have to get people on the journey often, right? Your tech team needs to be on the journey. Your finance team needs to be on the journey. Your legal team needs to be on the journey. And these are all teams who don't think about this stuff every single day. (laughs) <laughs> and having those relationships where you can go in makes i think makes the work that much more impactful when you've got support all across the business, and you've got to have those relationships, and I think you're totally right. It starts with you know letting your guard down a little bit
0: I love it well, if you were starting this journey uh and this career all over again, what advice would you give your younger self
1: i you know i think I think about authenticity mm. and I think that comes with probably time and experience and wisdom and, and sort of knowing who you are, but I think authenticity and, and being true to yourself. You know, I had, <laughs> I was interviewing at two different places years ago and one was, one was for the wall street journal and another one was a startup. And every single time I would sort of interview at the startup, I like loved it. I thought the startup was awesome. You know, there were dogs running around and people <laughs> with t-shirts and my God, like, oh, this place is great. And then I would go to the Wall Street Journal and not surprising it was a bit more structured and maybe a little bit more conservative and and I remember talking to a mentor at the time and saying god I, I love the startup but I just you know I I you know there's all these dogs and like people are like really relaxed and you know, <laughs> With all due respect, you're not a particularly relaxed person, and it's true. I don't even even, at the time I didn't even own a T-shirt. Now I have a four-year-old, so I got to like kick around with him. But like, I am not like what I would call like a relaxed human. (laughs) And and it was so true, and it was really kind of eye-opening in terms of like the being authentic to who you who you are, and like what culture will work for you. And it was absolutely the right move. Like I thrived at the Wall Street Journal and Dow Jones. I absolutely loved it because it was the right culture fit. So I think like following your gut and being true to who you are is what I would what I would say to myself.
0: Awesome. Well, from a marketing standpoint, I'm um, curious if there's anything you're trying to learn more about yourself or or a topic you think marketers need to be learning more about.
1: So I think what every marketer should know about is like I think every marketer needs to have business and and financial acumen. Mm-hmm. You know I see a lot of marketers that tend to go really deep in the tactics, and that's certainly important to understand the the fundamentals of marketing. Absolutely, but it gets harder and harder to get things done if you can't sit across from your CFO or you can't sit across from your finance team and, and have a, a conversation about the business or you can't sit across your president and talk about growth. And so I think that that, that is what I would I would say in terms of in terms of every marketer should know.
0: Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. Well, are there any trends or subcultures that you're following you think other people should take notice of?
1: Oh, I mean, who isn't following, you know, Jenna and I? I mean, I think right. Every you know everybody is my, myself included so that's that's one that I of course have been following closely i also i'm really fascinated by by fintech as it relates to payments, which I know could sound really random, but I always think about you know my son he's almost four, and I'm like he'll never use currency, right? Like a dollar, right? right? Like the paper dollar, you know, he thinks, you know, he just takes my phone and he can buy something, you know, with my phone. So, you know, we'll go to a grocery store and he'll say, I want to pay. And then he'll just take my phone, to pay. (laughs) you know? And so I think, I think the future of payments is really, really fascinating and definitely something that I, I tend to keep my eye on.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting. I mean, just in the matter of, I'm, maybe I'm a little old and adopting the whole like mobile pay, but like I now get frustrated when I can't use it. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah it's it's a it's really amazing like how convenient how how just convenient it is. But I think that is that's an area that I just am fascinated by and mm-hmm. and I will continue to be.
0: Awesome. Well, last question for you: What do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today?
1: Oh, AI in, <laughs> in both areas. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just. I think that goes for society and the world as a whole, you know, we had a conversation, we had a planning offsite a few weeks ago when we were talking about it because we're testing, you know, we're using AI, you know, even just to test our messaging. Mm. We use it in our interview pro- process. We sort of started to weave in questions around how do you use chat GPT just to kind of see how other, you know, candidates are using it and curious mm. for us, curious how curious they are. And I had said to the team, look, we've lean in like this is happening. And so let's use it and figure out how we can make the work better, more impactful. I don't ultimately think anytime soon, it's going to be removing the EQ elements that humans bring to marketing. That's so critically important and the thinking that marketers can bring. But I certainly think it can help improve the work and make it more impactful. Um, and also, I think it, it gets us thinking about things a little bit differently.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. There's definitely a lot of opportunity, a little yeah. bit of a threat, but oh my god, I mean, look, that,
1: there's threats all over the place with it too. So it's not without it's not without threats, and I think that that it goes hand in hand with any new technology. But mm-hmm. but that's that's absolutely one that I look at both both areas for.
0: Awesome. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was great chatting with you.
0: Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.